Our scripture reading today comes from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, verses 11 through 17. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have, you may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord, may the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he, and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amen. Amen. I mean, I want you to know, I feel really loved somehow because I get up here on my stand and there's actually a banana on my stand. I don't know who put that there. If you know me, you know, like I actually hate bananas. It's like, you know, personal kryptonite. So someone's trying to rig the service before we get started today. I have to rebuke that and cast that out in Jesus' name. I bind that banana spirit and um, we're just going to be free today. So anyway, I don't know who left that there, but it was particularly soft and brown. It's just... Anyway, I don't know what happened there. Can't make this stuff up. God bless you. Uh, All right, a couple things here before we get going. As you've heard, we're going to three services next week, which is exciting. Uh, And to help, yeah, help us kick it off, uh, I'll be starting a brand new series on the book of Nehemiah, looking at leadership in his life, something called Unshakable. We're going to look at how we can live lives that are unshakable in difficult times. So uh, it's going to go for six weeks. I'm asking you to give me these six weeks. And if you're not going to be here, at least like put your middle school student here, your high school student here, your your spouse, your employees here, because what they're going to hear is the foundation of a great life and a life of great faith. So along with that, we're asking you to get started in a community group if you're not already as well. Um, If you're not in one, at least try one. They're nice people there. Uh, And if you're not in one anymore, please consider getting going in one again because we don't just gather in rows here. We gather in circles also. We're going to be introducing some type leadership type boot camp material in there. So no matter what kind of leader that you are, whether you're leading in the marketplace or you're leading uh, business or school or you're just trying to lead 
two kids to take a nap uh, during the week. This is going to help you. We'll be using content in your groups from something called Right Now Media. This is an amazing ministry. It's an online, basically, video library vault. That because of our subscription, we get to give to you for free. Uh, but to access the content, you'd need an account. So today, you're going to be getting an email from us if we've got your email. Another reason to fill out that orange card. And we'll get you that, that, uh, that email. You just accept it. And once you have a login account, that means we can now send you personalized content from right now for your group during this month. So there you go. So when you get the email, hit accept and you'll be good. All right. Here we go. Uh, as you can see, let me scoop myself up just a bit. We are in the middle of... A, I was intimidated from the banana. That's what made me shrink back. But I'm not of those who shrink back. I'm those who believe... And I've got to quote the Bible to myself before I, before I get going. Uh, well, here we go. In a series called Better Together, looking at how the gospel makes us better together. We're concluding this today. And specifically, we've been looking at how we can fulfill our mission to make disciples in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational context. And before we go any further, let me tell you why I believe that mission matters. I think that kind of mission matters because I believe that kind of mission can change the city and change the way that people view the church. I don't think the city just needs another kind of church, although I'm grateful uh, for every other church that's out there. So thankful for every church that's in the city that I partner with and co-labor with. I'm grateful for every church that's here, but I think the city needs another kind of church, a different church. It isn't politically liberal or conservative, but gospel-centered, a church that expresses the gospel in word and in deed, a church that loves the grace of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God and the power of God, a church that doesn't say its focus is either going to be to the church people or the unchurched people, but that can speak to both, a church that's both passionate and deep where you don't have to check either your emotions or your brain at the door. A church that has the fireplace of church history and the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in it. A church that isn't, is, excuse me, is current, but not necessarily current events driven. Not just another church, but another kind of a church, one that makes disciples in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational context. So... What can help us do that? Here we are. Ruth chapter 4 can. Ruth chapter 4 is where all the pieces of the book come together at the end like in a great movie. And Ruth chapter 4 actually presents the reader, that's you and me, with a series of choices. It actually presses us to see and make to determine the kind of future that we want. So chapter four is all about you and me seizing our moment, recognizing our moment, and making a series of choices to determine our future. Three moments, three distinct choices I hope to both show you and press you also to make in the end. What kind of choices? Three here. Number one, there's Boaz's choice. We're going to see. There's a city's choice. And finally, there's our choice, a personal choice. In the end, number one, let's begin to look at Boaz's choice to lead into the light. Verses one and two, this kicks off chapter four. It says, Boaz went up to the gate and he sat down there 
Behold, a close relative, that's the other redeemer, whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And so that guy sat down and Boaz, you see, took 10 elders of the city and sat down with them. So let's recap the story. If you're just joining us, you may know the book of Ruth takes place around 1300 BC. And in that day, there was a famine in the nation of Israel and the town of Bethlehem. And one family fled Israel to flee the famine. And they immigrated as refugees to the nation, the hostile neighboring nation of Moab. But while they were there, tragedy struck again. And the patriarch of the family, Elimelech, died. Shortly thereafter, his two sons died, leaving his wife and his two daughters-in-law, women from Moab, alone, penniless, and hopeless. But Naomi, the wife, she decides she wants to return to her homeland to try to survive, and so she starts out on the road, taking Orpah and Ruth, her two daughters-in-law, with her. As they're on the road, Orpah, looking at her multi-generational, multi-ethnic future, decides it's going to be too hard, too much, and so she turns back and goes back home to her own way of life, her own culture, and family. But Ruth perseveres. She swears to be faithful to Naomi. Till the end, she converts to faith in the one true God. And so they go back to Bethlehem, and Ruth goes out to try to survive, doing the only thing she knows she can do, which is to glean grain in the field. And she just happens to begin gleaning grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who was, if you know the story, a close family relative. Now that's crucial to the story. The whole book hangs on it because in Jewish culture, a man like Boaz could redeem a family like Naomi's by marrying a widow from that family and providing an heir for the dead relative's family. It was sort of the ultimate, you know, donate your kidney kind of thing, except it cost you your name, your future and your wealth. So Boaz could do this. He could buy back Naomi's land. He could marry a widow, provide an heir at his own personal cost. And Naomi, oh, she's old and shrewd and she knows this. And so she hatches a plan that's a little, or shall we say a lot, on the shady side. (laughs) Yeah. As a matter of fact, my friend Katie, who did the the, the scripture reading first uh, service last week, she she said, what are you having me read today? You know, the the title of this could be Ruth Gets Saucy, you know, and that's sort of true. Ruth does walk the line, but it's actually Naomi who presses her to walk it. And here's how Naomi's plan was to get Ruth dressed up perfumed up while Boaz was liquored up and to find Boaz when he's tired in the dark after dinner and a drink and to try to get Boaz to sleep with Ruth. Why? Well, because Naomi knows if that happened and Ruth got pregnant, now Boaz would be forced to marry her and provide for Naomi also. What was Naomi doing here? She's saying this. She's saying, I'm poor, I'm needy, Ruth is poor and needy. I'm going to tip my odds in my favor. The ends justify the means. So I'm going to make a deal in the dark and get what I want. And in case you think I'm being too hard on her, just read a short list of commentaries and Bible scholars. They'll say this is pretty much, this is what she's doing. Naomi is a sympathetic, but ultimately flawed character. But here is where, once again, Boaz shines, where his character shines, because in contrast to Naomi's deal in the dark, 
Boaz, in chapter 4, leads into the light. And here's how. Because when Ruth comes to him in the dark, he, he figures out what's going on. He stops Ruth from carrying out Naomi's wishes, even though we see his heart going out to her in her pain and in her plight, in her pain. And, and this is true, isn't it? It's our tendency too today. In our culture especially, when we see people, maybe in Ruth's position, in a way, in plight, in pain, to go to either one extreme or the other. And here's how. We either just give in and we cave and we compromise the moral law of God, especially when it comes to our sexual ethics, or we say it doesn't matter what God's word or law says. You know, we say, I'm just going to love them, right? I want to be loved. Or on the other hand, we turn away from those in need and in pain on the outskirts of society or the church. But Boaz is amazing. He doesn't compromise either the law of God or the love of God. He says no to Naomi's indecent proposal, but he does say yes to Ruth's wedding proposal. And look at how he goes about it. Here in chapter four, he goes in contrast to the darkness. He goes out into the light. He gets the elders of the town, all the relatives, people driving through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, anybody who's there says, come on, y'all sit down, eyes on the situation. I need some accountability, some people to speak into the situation. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what's going on so that he and Ruth can do the right thing at the right time in the right way. You say, well, you know, Boaz, he's sort of this old-fashioned guy with good morals, had a good mama, you know. Now listen, that's not what's happening here at all. What Boaz is showing us is someone who understands the depth of the heart of God. Because almost everyone wants to either have love without the law or have the law without love at the center. On almost everyone, just about everybody here, you. You've got either a personal bent, or an upbringing, or a political persuasion that pushes you to go to one extreme or the other. And almost every church has this bent too. You see churches today either abandoning the moral law of God in the name of love, or abandoning the love of God in some twisted attempt to defend his name some weird way, right? But Boaz does neither, and that's why he's so unique. Listen, do you want to know why when you read the book, why you love Boaz? I mean, some of you ladies, you love Boaz. Single ladies, you love Boaz. You think, man, when's my Boaz going to come? He's so great. He's got a job. The brother gets paid, right? I mean, he's got employees. He's got his franchise thing happening. I want a man like that. Listen, you want a man like that because he lives like this. He doesn't neglect the moral law of God. Say, well, I know what God's word says, but I'm smarter than God. And so I'm going to be led by my heart and just give in to what I feel in this moment. Nor does he say the law gives me the right to opt out of sacrificing and spending myself and redeeming Ruth's life. Listen, if Boaz had only followed his heart and made a deal in the dark, we wouldn't be celebrating him a day. We wouldn't. But if he had only followed the letter of the law and he used the law like the Pharisees did, that Jesus rebuked him for, as a way out, an excuse out of loving people in hard places, 
we wouldn't be celebrating him either. And as we look out into our nation's future, as we look out into this year full of surprises, and oh my gosh, let me tell you, no one knows what's going to happen this year. We don't. Full of surprises, right? News, rallies, and marches. Let me suggest now a grid for you to interpret this stuff. A grid that will make you unique, like Boaz was unique, makes this church unique. Here's what you got to ask. Here's the grid. Always ask this. Is what I'm about, is what this group is about, does this idea or person honor both the moral law of God and do they show the love of God? This is a tension here. This tension, honoring the moral law of God and showing the law of God, showing the love of God, this is what makes Christianity what it is. Because Christianity, aren't you glad, isn't just a traditional religion of judgment, right? Laws. Nor is it just a modern, secular, spiritual, wishy-washy, church itself thing, right? But it's got, it's Christianity is something that has this tension at the center of it. And if we lose this, if we let go of this church, we're going to lose our uniqueness. If you lose this, you lose your uniqueness. If the church loses this, it loses its uniqueness. We just blend into one extreme or the other. See, Boaz doesn't make a deal in the dark. He leads into the light with a stunning blend of law and love. And that's why Ruth was redeemed. That's how you redeem a culture. That's how you redeem a life. That's how a life is changed through God's law and his love. Doesn't the psalmist write, oh God, your law is perfect, reviving the soul. Some of you today, your souls feel weary and tired or broken. Maybe it's because you've abandoned the law of God in your life. Or on the other hand, maybe it's because you don't have the love of God. You're not living out, showing sacrificially the love of God. You need God's law and his love, truth and tears. If we let go of one or the other, we let go of our ability to make a difference in the long run. Listen, Jesus' crucifixion and redemption doesn't just free us to live however we want. No, it actually empowers us to fulfill and live out God's perfect moral law. Jesus died for love to fulfill the law. Don't let either, hear me, the Naomi's on one side of our culture push you to abandon the moral law of God. And at the same time, don't let people like that failed redeemer push you through hard-heartedness and close-heartedness to look at people in plight and pain and say, no, I won't help them either, see. Church, let's seize our moment now. Let's make a choice to be like Boaz. Lead into the light. Lead into the future with God's perfect law and a heart of love. It's Boaz's choice. He does both That's why he's amazing. You say, well, okay, that's maybe interesting. I like it. Maybe it's complicated. Yes. What can help me do that? Make that choice. Number two, there's a second choice here. I want you to take a look at today because Boaz here doesn't just make this choice. Actually, a whole city makes a choice. It's fascinating because the people here in this city in 
the little town of Bethlehem, are remarkable throughout the book. They have so many amazing moments. The book takes place against the backdrop of the insane depravity of the time of the judges. Where there was no king, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And Bethlehem is amazing. So many great moments these people have. But the most amazing moment they have is here at the end of the book. At the climactic moment of the book. Where after Boaz tells them his whole plan to redeem Ruth, to marry her. They have an opportunity to say something. To speak into the future of their culture, of their city, and their nation. Because in this moment, when they are pressed for a response to Boaz's proposal to bring an interracial, transcultural relationship into the very heart of their community, what do they say? The whole book hangs on their response. It's amazing. Look, it says, all the people who were in the court. What is this? The elders. This is a place of government. They are gathering to make public policy in this moment. That's what's happening here. The court, the elders, all those in charge say this. They say, yes, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. What are they doing? Here's what they're doing. They are cheering for and making space for ethnic diversity in their daily lives. So they're doing, number one. But not only that, number two, they are choosing, and you've got to catch this, in choosing to embrace a refugee from a nation that had harmed them in the past. The scary nation, violent nation of Moab. That's where Ruth was from. A nation that had deeply wronged the Jewish people many years before. Ruth was the face of the enemy come into their own town. And right here, what you've got to see is in this moment, with the elders at the gate, the local government is gathered to decide what to do about it. Will they allow the refugee Ruth to stay and become part of their community? Or will they close the borders of the town to someone from the part of the world that they feared? Will they disallow her to legally become part of their community and essentially force her to starve? That's their choice. This, they say, yes, bring her in. This is why Bethlehem shines. The whole city says yes. And this is why I believe God honored them with not only David being born there, but Jesus the Messiah being born there in the long run. See, when it came time, they leaned in to the best of who they were. What are they doing? Here's what they're doing. They are choosing to pick up and live by a greater vision. Let me show you where it comes from. Look at what they say. They say to Boaz, may your house be like the house of Perez. Didn't you love our friend Henry there, man, with a minute ago with a Latino accident on Perez? I love that, man. Do that second service too. That was fantastic. Whom Tamar bore to to Judah. This is another reference to another sticky Another saucy story about another woman brought into God's family back in Genesis. Her name was Tamar, like Ruth. She's trying to get her family to continue. And though it was messy, though it was complicated, in the end, God used Tamar, an outsider, to bring redemption into the community of God's people of Judah, who was messed up up if you know the story. So flash forward here a few hundred years later when the townspeople of Bethlehem give Boaz, you know, the big emoji thumbs up, you know, when they, when they like his idea on social media, what story do they reference? It's the story of Tamar, 
a story of complicated grace. They say, Boaz, we remember that God works by sheer grace, that his favor flows toward the outsider and the poor and the outcast. And that's what Ruth is. And by bringing her into our community, we know we're actually at the same time bringing God's grace into our community. So we are going to celebrate someone who doesn't look like us. Because God's done this, brought this into our lives, into our lap. <clears throat> when I was uh, in college, uh, when Carrie and I were just friends back in the day, we went to this little, it was amazing, this little inner city church uh, in the third ward in Houston, Texas. And these people were amazing, and Carrie and I went, a couple of our friends went. We were the only white folks there, the only, what is it, you know, salt and the pepper shaker, so to speak. And so the church was amazing. They had a heart to redeem. They were so brave and redeem the, the brokenness of the inner city. And they met in a former crack house. And the only ventilation, it was so hot in Houston, Texas in the summer, only ventilation was through the bullet holes in the walls. Do you imagine these folks were so brave going in there? And even though uh, we were the outsiders, right, uh, they loved us, loved me. And one night they came over to come into to our world a bit. Um, and they, they loved me that night by playing this little game I learned that night. They taught me called Pass the Rap. Pass the Rap. And Pass the Rap goes like this. Everybody in a circle starts taking turns creating a collective beat. It's great. <laughs> And then each person in the circle does an improvisational poem that's called freestyle rap, for those of you who don't know what that means. And so I was scared to death when they started passing a rap, and the rap started getting passed that my way, and I started to pass the rap when it got to me, but they said, no, you can't pass the rap until you do the rap. And so I think I mumbled something terrible, like, you know, my name is Morgan, I'm here to say I love Jesus in a major way. It's just... It was so bad. It really was bad. But all those Jesus people, man, the Jesus people, man, they cheered me like I was like Lecrae or somebody. It was, it was, I, I never forgotten it. That's why I'm talking about it. They were saying the same thing. We see you. You're different. We celebrate you and your rap stinks, but we love you. We love you. We love you. You're one of us. And here's what they weren't saying. At the same time, they weren't saying we don't hate you, right? There's a big difference. They're not saying, hey, come on in and we'll tolerate you, right? I mean, could you imagine someone saying to you, hey, come into our group, church, life, we don't totally hate you and we're just gonna tolerate you, right? Love isn't the same thing as not hating. It's a big gap. It's a big difference. It's not enough to say, oh, I don't hate those people. Do you love them, right? Do you, can you celebrate who the essence of who they are? That's what my friends did for me. They were celebrating, in a sense, my, my Moabiteness, right? <laughs> and this is what we have to do for one another. Celebrate that. The people of Bethlehem, they're amazing here. They're picking up a greater vision. And when anyone ever asked me, man, why is Mosaic the way it is? I say it's because I think we've got the, the people of Bethlehem here. In a way, our way forward is to cheer for. We are witnesses of what God has done. Number one, Boaz makes a choice, though it costs him. Number two, the people of the city make a choice, though it costs them. What about us? Well, third, there's one more choice here in the book. 
the book presses us to make at the end. It's our choice. Something that you have to see here. It's arguably the most powerful truth in the book. The most powerful truth in the book comes here at the end. In the last image it presents you, the last scene, you've got Boaz, you've got uh, Ruth. They're married now. They've got a baby. And their child is sitting on Naomi's lap. Naomi, she who went away bitter, who went away empty. Now she's come back full and happy. All their friends are gathered around. The ultimate happy ending here. And now there's this powerful truth given to us through a massive and intentional twist. In the last second of the book, you say, where's that? Oh, look at this. Look at what the people of Bethlehem say in their final words to Naomi. They say, praise be to the Lord, who this day, Naomi, has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, look, has given him birth. Hang on, wait. You begin the sentence thinking they're talking about Boaz, but by the end you realize they can't be Because they say, Naomi, God's given you a redeemer. Your redeemer will renew your life. Your redeemer will become famous. And your redeemer is, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Your redeemer is the child. Ruth has given birth to him, the redeemer. What's going on? Oh, what's going on is the book is closing on a deliberate twist. It's telling you that the real redeemer in the book isn't Boaz or Ruth, but that the real redeemer is yet to come. Because these are the very next words and the last words of the book. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of who? Oh, David. Israel's greatest king. The author is saying the future redeemer is David. Oh, but in the light of a New Testament, we can see these women are both right and wrong. Because King David, like Boaz, was a mini redeemer. He was a short-term, one-time great king who brought the nation together. But Jesus, we know, is greater because he's a greater king. He didn't live for one time. Now, because of his death and resurrection, he lives forever. And his heart is to unite all peoples, not just one nation, all peoples for all time. See, the end of the book of Ruth says, another redeemer is yet to come. There is another great hope. And today you can know he has come. His name is Jesus. He is the one in the end, the book of Ruth is really all about, which points us now to the final truth in the book, which is this. When we, like Ruth, when we choose to say the same powerful words that Ruth says to Naomi, when we say to one another, your people are my people, your God is my God, your family is my family, Naomi, despite your poverty, despite your brokenness, despite your bitterness, despite the cultural differences that I don't understand may never get, when we say your family is my family, we begin to set in motion the very thing that brings redemption into our own lives and into the world. When we, like Boaz, we say to Ruth, oh, don't go away. 
stay here in my community, in my field, when we say, I will redeem you, I will humble myself and pay the cost for you to be whole. Or when we say, like Naomi said to Ruth, daughter, I want to find rest for your soul. We begin to create the very atmosphere that redeems us all in the end. We aren't redeemed by more separation. We aren't redeemed by more selfishness. We aren't redeemed by more focus on our own needs and wants and preferences. See, even despite their flaws and mistakes, Boaz, Naomi, Ruth, through their multi-generational and multi-ethnic commitment to one another and a vision beyond themselves, they actually bring, they produce redemption into the world. And I believe that you and me and what we are doing together can do the same kind of thing because when we live lives like that we show Jesus to the world we show Jesus to the world when we cling to one another when we ignore words spoken to us like Boaz's overseer right? You said, why would you want to love someone like that? She's too different. She doesn't get you. She ain't from around here, Boaz. And when we ignore the words of that failed redeemer who looked inside and said, I can't pay the cost. I'm not going to do it. When we ignore those kind of words, we bind up our future in each other and we prepare the way for our own deliverance, though we can't see it, though it may take generations to come. See what we are doing like Boaz and Ruth, we are doing for our future and for our own children to create a different kind of place, a different kind of future that comes about when we, like that small, multi-ethnic, multi-generational group, when they bind up their future in one another. And let me tell you, my future carries future until God or our elders say otherwise uh, is bound up with you. All the people here, all the people who should have been here today in the room. Because here's what I I see of people like Boaz, Naomi, like Ruth, some young, some old, some rich like Boaz, some poor like Naomi, some single, some married, some black, some white, Latino, Asian, everything else in between, uh, gathering around, pointing to the Redeemer in their midst. I see people like Naomi as they hold the product of a different kind of union in their lap, finding redemption and a better future. I see Jesus being shown to the world through worship and community and mission over and over again. And one day, by God's grace, churches being planted, leaders trained, disciples made with vision and skill and a tenacity to do the same. And I hear the voice of God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I hear the voice of God saying, you've been faithful with the little. I'm going to trust you with more. I hear him saying, your task is great and your labor is costly, but my sacrifice falls on fire. My fire falls on sacrifice, and as you sacrifice, my fire will fall. And here is my prayer to see that future come to pass. May God this year give us the grace to cling to one another like Ruth clung to Naomi. May God give us the courage like Boaz had to pay the cost to love someone else. And above all that, may God be glorified and the Redeemer shown in our midst and may his name become famous. May his name become famous throughout the land. And may the hearts of many find hope when they look at us and they see that he is here in our midst and he's been there all along. Would you stand this morning with me? Let's pray as we close.
Oh God, this morning, we're asking for all of that. Lord, our future, our redemption is here and is yet to come. Oh, it's in you, Jesus. Help us, give us grace to forgive and to love and to press and to have the conversations and to go there and to look to you. Surely you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. You do this. God, we're asking for for more. What you've already done. So we go to our next step and the next service. We have to have you and your love. that you died for at the center of us in every way. Lord, I pray for this conviction to settle in our hearts. We make the same choice to love into our future. In Jesus' name, amen.